Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Happy bye week, everyone. Uh, the Commanders will be on a break, obviously, until facing the Rams in week 15. Uh, I think those of us on the beat are going to look to take, a, take advantage of that for sure. But obviously, I don't want to leave my podcast family here. Uh, without anything to listen to so i wanted to get one out this week and then i'll have at least one more uh next week what i have this week for you i went straight to the top of possible guests i could get here if we have a real conversation about this team i reunited my guys kevin sheehan from the team 980 and grant paulson from 1067 the fan we just spoke at uh great length a lot of fun went through a ton of different topics with regards to this team, but primarily looking forward, no read, no reason to really rehash kind of the season um, and, and kind of where things are going. We're just going to moving forward with, with the understanding that it is likely significant changes coming here with the coaching staff, the front office, but also the roster. And I wanted to get their view on, you know, is this roster better, worse, or the same since Ron Rivera took over, we went through what are we all looking for with a potential new GM or coaching hire? Do you want an offensive guy? Do you want a, um, a culture guy? Where does the analytics factor in? Uh, we also had uh, similar discussions about quarterback Sam Howe versus a potential top five pick. How do you uh, assess that scenario? Uh, we talked about, Oh, a whole bunch of things. We talked about the name. Does that need to change? We talked about where this uh, team is with regards to the fan base. After we're seeing the Miami uh, fans really kind of dominate uh, that scene. A lot of a lot of really interesting discussions. Also a lot about uh, Mike McDaniel because the commanders were featured on Hard Knocks this week. So I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this conversation. Of course, to make sure you don't miss any of our conversations here on the Standard Room Only podcast, subscribe to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. I don't do Spotify myself, but I know that the last few days there was uh, people were putting out their lists of the top five podcasts I listened to. Uh, I was included on some of those lists. I very much appreciate everybody staying with us here especially when it's been pretty tough to talk about this team in any remote positive way. Uh, if you missed it, Michael Phillips and I broke down what happened against the Dolphins, but really also kind of just spun moving forward about where this thing, where this team goes from here. So make sure to check that out. Um, just quickly, I'll have a story up this week on The Athletic about the roster Gonna doing like a sort of a two-part preview of or not preview uh two well actually I guess a preview yeah of kind of what this l- roster looks like for 2024 
where are positions that, that they should be pretty good at starter? Where are some, where are the weaknesses? Where are, you know, what do you do with, um, you know, certain spots where free agents are happening. Uh, so uh, doing an in-depth there, I'll do offense this week, defense next week uh, as well. Again, I am going to take a little bit of time here to, to uh, you know, sort of get away from the, from the, um, from the team, from thinking about all this to some degree, although it's, I never can get away from it ever. I, I don't know how people who can clear their mind on vacation. I'm not one of those people. Um, okay. That said, I don't want to mess around here too much in the intro because we did go a long ways, uh, a lo- have a long chat and I really, really enjoyed it. So obviously, you know, Kevin Sheehan and Grant Paulson don't really need to give them too much of an intro. Just of course, make sure you're listening to Grant Paulson with Danny Rie from two to six 30 Monday to Friday on 1067 the fan Kevin Sheehan of course 10 to 10 to 1 on 9 to team 980 as well as the Kevin Sheehan podcast which is a great listen and if you didn't already know I'm on with Kevin Mondays and Fridays uh noon uh to talk about this team and uh that's always a great time and I always appreciate Kevin for giving me that platform all right um let's get to it like I said we just kind of jumped in Started talking about uh, what we saw on Hard Knocks tonight with Mike McDaniel and the Commanders and just went from there all over the place, but in a really, I think, detailed and fun way. So here we go. Kevin Sheehan, Grant Paulson joining me here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, I have not watched Hard Knocks. I I barely watched the real version, let alone the supplemental in-season version, but we just all three of us watched the Miami one because I just showed the, the the week leading into the game and the game itself. Um, seeing them create the roller coaster celebration was uh, what what was what was when's the last time this team had a celebration, a planned one like that? I mean, you Wait. would have to feel confident enough that you're going to score and feel <laughs> really good about your operation to spend some practice time doing that trying to think of something good like that i don't I mean, know obviously there was like the fun bunch or whatever but yeah you've had some players that you know alfred morris with the bat swing uh crowder used to do good dances but yeah it's been a while i'm definitely not a dance historian on this but i can't remember anything recently oh. that was notable i kind of think like right? I, look like ron rivera for all we know would say you're not doing that I feel like Jay wouldn't have had an issue, but um, no, well, they wouldn't have listened to Jay anyway, <laughs> <laughs> right? But like, I feel like there's something to that. Like, obviously, Miami's on a roll. Tyreek Hill's amazing. It was said in the by, by Wes Welker, the Dolphins' receiver coach. If we get one on, if we get one on one, it's like stealing. Correct. Um, but like, I feel like there's something about that. Like, there's some confidence to that. Like, you gotta ha- have some swagger about your team. Ha- come up with something. Yeah. Well, you, you got to feel confident that, you, as Grant said, that you're going to score. And by the way, feel like you're going to win the game. So it then come back to haunt you. But from that, that's the first time I've watched Hard Knocks in season. I didn't even watch that much of it over the summer with the Jets, except for maybe the first two episodes. But the most notable thing was after that first touchdown and Tariq Hill's going, are you kidding me? Man coverage, <laughs> man to man. Like they're laughing that they put Quan Martin on him in the slot, man to man. Yeah, that's I, why I wanted to watch was to see what they would say. I've watched both episodes. Uh, I'm a hard knocks kind of maven, and and I can't get enough of it. 
Um, so I wanted to see like last week, much of the episode was spent building up the matchup against the Raiders by way of them talking about how amazing Max Crosby is. So I wanted to see, they've been highlighting opposing players. Like, is there a guy on Washington that they do that with? And of course there wasn't, uh, but they did give us a little, you know, 45 second mashup of different coaching rooms and some talking points about the commanders. But yeah, they, they basically said, you're not, you're not going to get man. Uh, if you do, we're going to score. <laughs> and they went out and they did it. Um, I thought this, the interactions between him and the enemy were interesting. Uh, just yeah. because he played in Kansas City, obviously, with the enemy. He came out in support of the enemy on Twitter when Ron came out and said that some players were upset with him in the summer. So I thought that was cool to see that those two guys have a pretty good relationship. Uh, and look, Hard Knocks picked a really good week to uh, follow around Andrew Van Ginkle. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, that's uh, unbelievable. That was yeah, pretty incredible. Because it's not like they did it after the fact, right? They were, they were recording her watching the game. They were at right. his house the, the whole week. So I thought that was pretty neat. Right. Do you think I actually they... thought the Mike McDaniel stuff, like I, um, I've told this story before, but when we were doing a lot of shows from Redskins Park, when 980 was, you know, part of Red Zebra and the whole thing, I mean, this is like 2010, 2011, whatever, 2012, whatever it was. And Tommy and I were doing the show together and we just finished and Mike McDaniel walked into our studio and introduced himself and he he's like you know i know you guys do this show and i ended up sitting there for like 30 minutes and having a conversation with someone who i didn't i didn't have any clue who he was but i remembered saying to tommy when i got done i have no idea who that dude is can't even remember his name actually but he's he's the smartest and most interesting person in the building and i then asked mike like shanahan two weeks later Hey, there's this guy, he's like your receivers coach. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be a head coach one day. Um, but he was super young. I mean, how old would he have been? At 24, that point? 26. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but to me, that was the most fascinating part of the show. Cause he's really a bit of a weirdo, you know? And I wonder like in watching the interactions he has with players in there's part of me that thinks, they they kind of view him as kind of like this mad scientist, but also kind of a caricature of himself. And I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way, but he really is kind of a character, yeah. if not a caricature. They showed a lot more of him like leading meetings and, and talking to the team and addressing the team in the first couple episodes. But he is not a sharp or a a great authoritative public speaker, right? He all. is, but he's incredibly authentic and they love it. And that was a kind of a featured point of the first episode, but you see his one-on-one -on -one interactions with players are amazing. It's really just about building them up. It's like a teacher and a student after class or something. And it's really awesome. Um, it just, it, you know, what it does is it kind of reshapes as Washington's about to look for a head coach, like how I view that position. Whereas you think you need this, super authoritative leader of men, you know, the guy, King Leonidas leading into the narrow passageway with the 300 against 10,000 Persians and, and whatever, you know, in the movie, no, you, you basically, you need a guy that's smarter than the people on the other sideline who can communicate well and who the players will respond to. And that's to me what he has done. I mean, they really, really like him. He is a quirky guy. When he was here to your point, yeah, I remember all those coaches would did tell you me. Get, did you get to know him at all? 
A little bit. He was the one guy on the staff that was a little bit, I don't want to call him standoffish, but was like just not as involved. Like I, I knew Kyle, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur really, really, really well. And then he was like, you know, a little further down the totem pole of like doing a lot of the work when those guys would, would be out and about or whatever. But I knew him a little bit and they always raved about him, but he was a different guy then, like not to get into yeah. business. He was a partier. You know, I, I would see him out and about and, you know, now he's given up drinking and partying and things all together, but he was a super young guy. And so the, the guy I saw was not like head coach material as much as he was a savant and a genius that had a lot of, a lot to offer that he had to harness. And he's obviously done that. I was going to ask about with regards to the coaches that like you're you're right seeing McDaniel here and and thinking about him more by the way it's sort of ironic if this is the end for Ron Rivera that three of the last five coaches that wa- opposing coaches Washington will face will be part of that infamous 2013 uh, group here um, but seeing a guy like McDaniel I think you're right Grant like typically I'm thinking of the Mike Tomlin or like the perception of what Ron was going to be this the guy who's sort of the old school leader of men, all that kind of stuff. But there is something to be said for being relatable to the athletes of today, because it is not the same deal. These guys are not necessarily going to stand there and get yelled at for lack of a better term, which is why I think some of the Belichick guys have failed. Um, So I guess to that end, like for you, like is that you just sort of, sort of said, granted to reshape you for Kevin, did you, does it make you rethink like what Washington should be looking for in, in a coach or are you still, are you an old school guy? Well, no, I mean, frankly, I've always, kind of it hasn't changed anything because that's what i've always wanted i I want a offensive wizard i don't care how they are at the podium you know nick sirianni looked like a fool in his first press conference and the eagles have been a machine since right he was talking about watering the plant or whatever the hell he got crushed for um so i think that uh all i care i want an offensive-minded head coach who uh can help develop the quarterback whether it's sam or somebody else to a high level that that's those are my prerequisites um, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't do something else, but ideally in a perfect world, the GM finds a guy who wants to throw the football, uh, wants to, to, you know, 2020, this offense, like Eric Bieniemy has to some extent, but who, you know, who, who is uh sharp and uh, McDaniels, the, there just aren't that many of those guys, you know, Bobby right. Slowick's not that guy. Um, could Ben Johnson be possibly, you know, Shane Waldron will find out, but there, there's just not a lot of options is the problem. Yeah, and what started this conversation was sort of the fascination with Mike McDaniel and the the idea of sort of this young, genius, offensive, you know, quirky, edge, whatever. There really isn't even a comp in the NFL for Mike McDaniel when you think about it, because Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan aren't comps for him. Kevin O'Connell's not a comp for him um, because they're all they're not as loosey goosey from my, I mean, uh, how do we know we don't follow the other guys day to day, but there's more, it's not authoritarian. It's not Tomlin esque. It's not Belichick. Um, it's not even like Vrabel, uh, but it's, um, it's somewhere in between kind of Belichick and McDaniel. Like McDaniel, I think is by himself now. I don't know if you even find a, a Mike McDaniel. He's, he's just odd but probably incredibly smart. But with respect to sort of offensive or or defensive guys, I I definitely would lean offensive guys too, just because of the control they have over the part of the game right now that trumps the other part of the game. And just 
you know, has the football. Um, and, uh, you know, if you get that really creative guy who can coach up, you know, average to really good, really good to really great on that side of the ball, you got a really good chance. Yeah, in addition to offense being so much more important than defense, which is just clear now, right, is if you go defensive, I don't care if you get the best coach in the world. I love Brian Flores as, as an example, as a coordinator. Uh, I think he could be a hell of a head coach again, right? But He's your coordinator. He's your guy. That's my guy, big <laughs> Brian Flores guy. But if you go get Brian Flores, you're you're going to constantly lose quality offensive minds. If you hit a home run with a hire on a coordinator, that guy becomes a head coach in two years. You hit another home run, that guy becomes a coach in two years. You've got to constantly be right, and you're not always going to be. Look at – I think Mike Brabel's a great coach. They lose uh, Matt LaFleur, head coach. Arthur Smith, head coach. The next guy they hire has been bad. They fired him. They're on to a next coordinator now. You know, you see this with these defensive coaches all the time. So it, it just doesn't make sense to me in a league where everyone's looking for an offensive mind. If you go defense, you're going to be going through coordinators if you pick the right guy pretty constantly. And I have no interest in asking my quarterback to keep changing offenses. Just to play I mean, a devil's all, advocate. I mean, like Kevin Hall was Guys lose defensive coordinators too. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's and and Jonathan Gannon, et cetera. But to your point, you really want the consistency with your quarterback and your offense. Exactly. You you want the best chance of having those guys together for the longest period of time. So to, just to play some devil's advocate, our, our guy Mike Sando at the Athletic had a story the other day, and I forget what the it's one of his like notebook kind of deals. And he was noting as everybody's talking about hiring the Ben Johnsons of the world, that if you look around the league, the most successful head coach quarterback marriages in recent years have been guys who were defensive minded or special teams, head coaches like Tomlin, like uh, John Harbaugh, I guess you could say Belichick, obviously that's sort of the extreme. But but none of those guys have been hired in the last 15 years. Right. I mean, I I think those are antiquated and dated hires. Like you you don't see that. I mean, more often than not, it's Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins butting heads or, you know, you want a guy that sits in the room every day and watches the film with you. Right. I mean, who's a good example of like a recent defensive, like Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert. I mean, Tomlin and Belichick are, are unbelievable, but, it could be Ryan's and Stroud, but who knows? Yeah, we'll see. And maybe they hit a home run, but I, but if yeah. you lose Slowick in a year, and then right. you lose the next guy after, like the cycle begins, right? So, yeah. well, and I'm this not is, saying you can't do it, but I think it is harder. So I think the thing is also like, let's just say Ben Johnson, because obviously he's like the number one guy for talking offensive guy. As we see, we you know we lived through the North Turner era, right? We don't know that just because they're a good coordinator means they will be a good head coach. And I do think that is a different skill set, not to mention, you know, some guys are not doing both jobs. Isn't something that's necessarily in their wheelhouse. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but like, that's the thing. It's like, it isn't, you're not hiring them for the job they currently have. You're hiring them for a different job that then that question is, will they be able to handle that? And that's where, and I also think to look at the Ravens, I mean, you're right. The, Harbaugh was hired forever ago it doesn't matter what happens there you can bring in random dudes off the street guys people thought were over the hill somehow within that system that culture like the Miami Heat they play and they perform we're seeing it this year with Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy were thought to be done they're playing really well that's my only thing is like it there is something to be said for the culture term is overused we've all overused it the last four years but uh 
but, but there's something to be said for that hiring that kind of a person um, for that job. Uh, but, but let me ask you this. That's a coach, the general manager. Uh, we just went through four years of coach centric. Just because it didn't work here doesn't mean it can't work. Seattle, Kansas City, et cetera. But do you want what do you want? Do you want the GM first to make that coaching hire? Do you, you are you cool if it's a coach centric thing or does it not matter? And you, whatever happens, happens. You said it can't work. We've seen it work. Um, you know, if Andy Reid, a guy like Andy Reid, has somebody he's super comfortable with, I'm certainly not against the idea of Belichick coaching a team. I just wouldn't want Belichick picking the players. But whether or not, I mean, I, I think I would prefer general manager picking coach, having that kind of an organization, having a bit of a separation of powers. Have he's looking for. A football czar who's a G, you know, gets a GM title who is involved intimately in picking the head coach, and that that's the kind of organization he's going to look for. And it's not going to be, you know, I had Randy Mueller, um, the former general manager of the Saints and the Dolphins and a bunch of teams on the show today, and he said, and an, that a guy, the current like analyst Josh for the Athletics, yeah, and and writes for the Athletic and, and does a really good job writing for that Athletic, which is you know like thirty cents a month and totally worth it. Um, Heaven's pimping my, pimping out my company on my own podcast. Nice. No, but no, but if you get the right month, you can get it for like thirty cents a month. I think I'm only paying a, a dollar a month, and it's totally worth it. It's a great value. And by the way, you know I'm being sincere. I know because I read you uh, religiously. But um, glad somebody on here does. Yeah, but he he said he thinks a guy like Josh Harris, without a lot of football experience should not hire an Adam Peters or a young guy who hasn't had GM experience. He thinks he should find somebody with GM experience that can help him learn the game simultaneously while running the organization. I don't know what Josh Harris specifically will do, but I think the GM coach route is the route they'll take. Yeah. I, a, I'm with Kevin every step of the way. I think that's the route they're going to go. And it's also, I'll, I'll even be more adamant. I don't think coach-centric works. Uh, I, I think it's too hard now. There, you, you wear both hats. It, there's too much to do, and we just saw that. I mean, number one, like the guys where it's quote-unquote coach-centric, everyone points to Andy Reid. I don't think people know how good and how uh, important Brett Veach is there. Like, yeah. He's a hell of an executive. And sure. maybe Reed has the final say in things sometimes, but like Veach is doing the work. And and I think Reed says, you gotcha. You know, you you bet like a lot more than we think. Um, so has it worked? Sure. W will it work again at some point? Absolutely. I still think that the best way it's been proven over a long, long time is GM hires coach and, you know, coach picks quarterback and roster and with the GM. And what I want is what the lions have to me. That's like the, the dream. They found their guy in Brad Holmes who came over from the Rams and they paired him with Dan Campbell and they've got a really good relationship. And it looks like they're built for a long time. Reminds me of kind of like um, uh, the, the, the Rams a little bit with, uh, you know, Sean McVay's relationship Les with Les Snead and the way those two guys are, are so close and tight and kind of, you know, fight about everything in, in the most helpful way possible. I, I think that's kind of what I'm looking for. I think the, the one thing that I, I think about sometimes, and Kevin just made me kind of think of this through a different light, is this Mueller idea of like a, a former GM. Like I expect them to go young. I think they're going to go with an analytics type guy and a name maybe that isn't a household name. But 
what they could do is have someone come in as like a president right. who is a former right. GM type, you know, who's been around the block. Yeah, and, Jerry Reese or somebody like that. Exactly. And that guy's yeah. your president. And then the GM who does a lot of the legwork is the analytics guy who's currently an assistant GM. You know, whether that's Alec Hallaby with the Eagles or one of these guys you've heard name floating around. And then you have that structure where that way you're not like betting so heavily on this guy that's never done it before. I could see that. I would prefer to just frankly, you know, bet on a GM, have the GM and the head coach work together and have fewer chefs in the kitchen. Cause one of the problems I've had with this team for a long time is I just think they have too many guys with too many titles and too like who's on the phone when Washington calls, you know, just give me a GM and a head coach and let's rock and roll. One thing I've heard over and over and over again for the last three years, when I've done my, uh, agent surveys and talking to other people is nobody knows who to call here when something is when they need something. I, I've had a I had an agent this offseason text me and ask me who he should be calling over there to get something done because it's like you call one person and then they have to re- verify with somebody else. I, I think to your point about Brett Veach and you can say the same thing with John Schneider in Seattle, Pete Carroll, it's a coach centric thing. Those are, like you said, those are real GMs with real responsibilities, not having to go back. It, what seemed to be happening here is Martin Mayhew or Marty Herney or whoever doesn't really have any power. Th- they may be doing some of the due diligence, but ultimately they have to go back to Ron, and that's where this whole process kind of slows up. And to your point, there's just too many people. Um, the Chris Polians, Eric Stokes, others. Um, yes, I, I think they need to simplify it. But the whoever... If, even if it is a coach centric, the GM needs to be a real GM, not just sort of the title. I'm not just disrespecting Mayhew, but that's just kind of seems like the reality. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's almost like what we're saying here is that this coach centric's a little bit different than other coach centrics because Grant made the point. Beach has been very important to read. I mean, Belichick's had the guys over the years, whether it was Casario or a guy like Floyd Reese or Dimitrov. I mean, there have been guys that have been significant figures. And maybe in this particular situation here, it was almost way too coach-centric. You know, he had Kyle Smith the first year, and there obviously was a rubbing of personalities there, and, and Kyle moved on. And then what does Martin Mayhew really do if, if Martin Mayhew's not the guy to call – um or marty herney but i think even like this idea that coach centric is just the coach does everything and it's too much it is too much for those guys to do which is why they've always had key right hands to kind of do all of the legwork even though andy reed and bill belichick and pete carroll etc had perhaps the final say but i think they were working very closely with one another and maybe that wasn't the case here so I, I guess what I'm saying is if you ended up with a really good coach um, and he had somebody who really was an outstanding evaluator of talent and manager of that side of the building, um, it wouldn't bother me, um, even if it was you know referred to or described as coach centric, because it has worked, but it's not worked in the way in which we think it was working here. I mean, I also, Andy Reid isn't doing all the work, you know, et cetera. I also just think whatever, whoever it is, it doesn't have to be a younger person, but obviously all, every, all the main figures here have been older guys. Um, there needs to be more creativity. I just think in general, across the board with everything that's happened over the last four years, as we go sort of 
look back. We're not going to do that here, but as we're all doing that in general, this, it, it just it just felt like a lot of like paint by numbers with with how they did stuff. I think including assembling the roster, which is kind of what I wanted to to, to spin towards next. And that is, you know, I, I wrote the other day recapping the Miami game. I ignored the game, but I I focused back on that quote that Ron Rivera gave John Kime before the season started about if this is basically my last year, but the next coach wins a division with 40 of my former players in my quarter, the quarterback I got, send me the ring. I'll be feel vindicated. You look at this roster now, uh, the, he's going to have to walk that quote back by a million, not not just because it was kind of nuts, but like, where is his roster? And, and it leads to the, and I will admit, I thought this team would be better than it was, at least from a roster perspective, before the year started. You can't make that claim now. Um, I, and that led me to this is the roster even better than it was when Ron inherited it? Like, in terms, like, you can look at the roster in various ways, like one to 53, but like in general, Grant, do you think it's actually better than it was, same or or maybe worse? Well, it's it's worse right now. They traded two of their best players a couple of months, you know, several weeks ago, sure. Uh, and I would say two of their five best players. And by the way, uh, they inherited maybe their four best players on the team as of the start of the season, still with Payne and Allen and Sweat. They also uh, inherited Young, basically, because they got the number two pick. Correct, exactly. So, I mean, that was not like they unearthed something, although that, you know, you would have thought that you can't miss there, and, and it looks like that might have been a foul ball at best at this point. But, uh, yeah, the roster's worse off for sure in this moment. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think the roster is bad as everybody is is making it out to be today uh, as the, the wheels are coming off the wagon. I mean, nobody was saying that when they were 2-0 and or, you know, if, if you're not, if things aren't going as sideways, I, I just don't think it's ever as bad as it looks. You know, today I got people calling into my show saying, well, maybe Terry McLaurin is is just, you know, a number two wide receiver. And we've gone from him being the, the 18th best guy in the league or whatever people thought to, to, to now being, you know, uh, Roydell Williams. Like we can relax a little bit on, on that. But I will say that uh, they have screwed up the roster a million different ways. And we can go through some of the specifics if you want to, but the O-line I think has been malpractice, how they've handled that. They inherited now Trent Williams was on his way out the door, but you know, the details behind the scenes on the Trent Williams thing with some of the initial meetings he had with Ron Rivera, uh, he had a chance to try to bring him back to the, you know, into the nest. And I didn't sound like there was much of an attempt to do that. Um, but so you, you don't want to blame him for Williams. Fine. They had Sheriff, you know, they had Morgan Moses. They blew the line up. They replaced their guards. They bet on the former Panthers, Norwell and Turner, and that was bad. They bet this year on Gates and Wiley, and that's been bad. So they've just horribly handled the line, which is an area where they're not good enough. Um, I, I think that they, what they did on the D-line didn't make sense to me. Uh, I was in the minority, but I didn't want to pay Payne after you'd already paid Allen when you probably had to pay Sweat or Young. I didn't really understand why they paid two defensive tackles. Um, so I, I just, to me, a lot of what they've done has made very little sense. Uh, had they not have traded those two guys, and I loved both trades, I would say that you can you know make a uh, uh, you know an argument that the roster is comparable. But you know, uh, it's he inherited a, a three win team that was, I think that was in the rock bottom plane hit the mountain year that was actually a little better over the years before that with J.A. than that season with Bill Callahan kind of driving the train into the side of the, the building. So um, it was a bad roster. It's not a particularly good roster now. They got work to do. Kevin, can I uh, let me present you with this? And you tell me if you disagree. I was looking at the the, the the essentially the starting lineup now and then factoring in who's free agents and not. 
I have them with basically nine and a half starters that I would say are viable to be back. The half is not knowing what Sam Howell is going to happen there. You got Terry and Jahan, Brian Robinson, Sam Cosme, and Howell. So that's four and a half on offense. Defense, the two tackles. I'm going to say St. Houston, Forbes, even though Forbes obviously struggled, but first round pick, I've got to assume he's going to be in the mix somewhere. And pick a safety. I'm not counting Cam Curl because he's a free agent, but that's Forrest or Butler. Pick one of them. I, that's what I got. I don't think there's – I don't know even if I can – Did you say under, Damon Davis? I, I'm i aware he exists. I think they need two okay. linebackers. <laughs> I mean, I don't think – I mean, he may start, but I wouldn't say he, he should necessarily at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I that you missed anybody then. Um, I just think that it's really – it's so, I mean, I was so wrong. Uh, I mean, be, be, at the end of last year, I thought it's the most positive thing about this organization that we haven't been able to say in a long time is that the roster is pretty solid. I mean, we don't know yeah. about quarterback, and that's very important, and the offensive line needs improvement, and the linebacking core, et cetera. But, man, that D-line, and if Chase Young comes back and is healthy, that's a big if, and if he grows up, that's a big if, the whole thing. Um, uh, but man, the playmakers that they've got on offense, I mean, before the season started, it, it, it's not like it was just local, you know, pundits that were saying this. I mean, you know, their, their receiving core was the ranked top 12 in the league, you know, with Terry and Jahan and Curtis Samuel. And I mean, and here we are with what I talked about today on the show, which is, we are in the midst of and probably heading towards one of the worst seasons in franchise history. And at the end of it, it's going to look like not only a bad team, but a bad roster without a lot of hope. And I think you just hit on all of the players that, and, and you, there are probably more, and you could maybe blame some of it on coaching. Um, you know, maybe a different coach gets a lot more out of some of these players, sure. but hell, it, Ben, you and I talked about it before the season started. We were pretty bullish on the secondary, the number one culprit to this season in terms of four and nine is coverage. Um, you know, and, and, and they lost their forest, right? They had a young player who wasn't ready to play quite yet. Um, but they also ended up playing more man coverage than they played, although they didn't on Sunday. Um, thank God it was like only a few possessions of man coverage, although they got burned on all of them that they played it. But uh, so you could put some of it on coaching. But, yeah, it's it's also just the nature of the NFL. We just you don't know and you don't know how it fits together and you don't know how it fits with the coaching staff. But I think what Grant said at the beginning is probably true. And that is it's not nearly as bad as it feels like it is right now. And you name nine to 10 players, maybe it's more than that. Um, but the good news is they're going to have, you know, the second most cap space of the league, a lot of draft choices and the ability to really turn it around in a hurry. And of course the big decision will be after GM and coach and staff will be quarterback. And, and by the way, of the nine, I said that included like St. Jude's who obviously the last few weeks has maybe yeah. it's not gone backwards, but he's not, we're not viewing him as an ascending piece. I mentioned Forbes, Clearly, this has been a, a brutal Butler's year. But good at times. I mean, you know. Yeah, we'll yeah, see. I, I, it's but not real, a real long quick list. on the secondary, let, let me. I mean, the Forbes thing. Whether he ever is good or not, I would say is a major question right now, based on what we've seen. 
But with St. Jude specifically, I would say, like, it's not all bad. I mean, he gets a lot of penalties. He's physical. He's constantly around receivers. I, I still like him a lot. He gets beat some. But what we're seeing right now is how do you do when there's no pass rush? Well, a lot of corners are going to look really bad. Like, they can't rush the quarterback yeah. right now at all. So you you have St. Juiced on one side, and I'm just picking, you know, Fuller on or whatever on the other side. And now you give them San Francisco's pass rush, and those two guys have four pass breakups and don't give up a lot, right? I mean, so, yeah, is St. Juiced in this structure on this terrible defense a good player? No. But if you put him on a defense where he's not covering for as long and people have an idea of what they're doing on the back end, it'll look different. And I think if you could say that about St. Juice, we could probably say that about several other guys. But your your list is really good. I would I would add to Jamin Davis. I'm not a huge fan of Jamin Davis, but I do think he's playing much better. And what like the issue I think a lot of us have with Davis now is where he was drafted at 19, which was, you know, or 20, whatever the hell that was, which was egregious. But if, if he was just a random guy and you just watch them, you would say, oh, that guy's fast. He's physical. Like, he can make a play or two. He can get you a tackle for loss. You know, if, if they go back to a more traditional three linebacker situation or whatever, or two linebackers, there's a spot for him. But, yeah, they're going to have – they're going to have to use that money and those picks, and they better hit on them. Right. I, I, get, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. He does make some decent plays. The fact that every team goes after Jamin with the wheel route every week – Drives me nuts, and maybe if they had a a, a, a steadier, more dynamic uh, Mike linebacker, it would be different. I, I kind of wish they were trying to use him more as a pass rusher now, because to your point, they don't have much of a pass rush, and why not try him there? Because he's such a good okay. athlete. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, though. Like, I just like, to Kevin's point from before, I I even in season, I was thinking, okay, if they fire Ron, th- this is still an attractive, this is an attractive situation for the cap space, for this, for that but also because there was a fair amount of building blocks, including the two tackles and, and McLaurin. And I'm not saying they're bad players or whatever. I am saying that none of them are going to be ascending off. They're not, they had, didn't improve. They're all at this point having down years and it just doesn't feel as cozy. And maybe it's all about just bringing a new staff, whoever we want, and they have new eyes and, and a different vision and it's all better. But I'm just saying right now, and look in John Allen's case, that plantar fasciitis he had in the, early in the offseason, maybe that's been an issue all year. We don't know. Right. But there's it, it's less, even without Young and Sweat, it just doesn't feel as like, okay, here are the pieces that a new person, a new a new team is going to say, we've got something here. We can add to this. Now it feels a little bit more like, uh, where are we at with this group? Yeah. Real quickly, too, I like St. Juice. I've liked him all year long because of what Grant described. Like, he's been there. He's close. He's got length. He's, but, and, and I like Davis for some of the same reasons. I mean, his athleticism has always flashed going back to his rookie year when they, you know, I remember that Chief game, um, which they were actually pretty close in there for a while. And he was chasing Mahomes down from one side of the field to the other. And I'm like, I mean, that's what they loved about him, obviously, was his, his speed. But, you know, they playing defense, it's got to be a fit with the staff. And then there's got to be the ability, too, to really get it defensively. And to, you know, a lot of the really good defensive backs in this league are super high IQ defensive backs and linebackers. And, you know, like the guys that just come to mind, you know, like a Micah Hyde, he doesn't run well. 
Um, but he's just so outrageously smart and anticipates so well. And they haven't had enough of those players. They, I think they've had them up front in John and Duran to a certain degree. Um, but I don't know that they've had them in the secondary. I am definitely not off Forbes at all. I think they brought him in here and they asked him to play uh, it, similarly to the Jamin Davis rookie year where they asked him to play something that he wasn't familiar with playing. Forbes is an eyes on the quarterback corner. That's what they apparently drafted him for. That's why he had all those turnovers. He's a zone corner and they ended up playing much more man this year than they had played last year for some reason. Um, I just think the whole Ben, you and I have talked about this, the, the whole idea of, of evaluating a draft class after a half a season or four games of a season or even 13 games of a season, you know, who's been impressive and you didn't throw on the list. Who knows? KJ Henry has been impressive mm -hmm. over the last couple of games. I think the guy Andre Jones has that angular, long armed body that you've seen become more, whether it's, you know, a Daniil Hunter who plays for Branton and, and my favorite defensive coordinator, um, Brian Flores right now. But that kind of body type has become a really interesting body type for pass rushers, seen it in Miami um, and other places. So there are some young players. And then, by the way, I was thinking about it, and I just pulled up the, the R lads because I wanted to see, re refresh my memory on who was on injured reserve. I think they had big plans for Armani Rodgers this year. I think he was going to be a big part of what they, they did. And a new GM will look at, you know, an Armani Rogers, uh, a Forrest who was lost, a Stromberg, who, by the way, is a high IQ player and versatile up front. And by the way, it's somebody like Rodriguez, who, who you didn't mention. I actually think he's got a lot of ability, although I like Brian Robinson Jr. a lot, too. So we don't know how a new GM will view it and how it'll fit with the new staff and their style of play. I bet you this isn't, there's not an, ex, there won't be an expansion draft. So you got to keep a lot of these guys who are also under contract and cheap. You, you can't just clean everybody out and try to, you know, sign 53 new players, but it would really be 90 new players to get to camp. There will still be with this new GM and the new coaching staff, 25 guys minimum that are back on the roster next year. Real quick, Ben, I'll, like I, I view the roster through the lens of like there's three buckets kind of stars like really good and then like you're a contributing NFL piece right I, I don't think there's such a thing as like bad players I guess there are guys that are on and off rosters or whatever but I think Washington you just went through a bunch of names like Stromberg and, and Forrest some of these guys that come back they've got a lot of the this is a contributing NFL piece they've yeah. got a handful of what I would consider to be really good players McLaurin's on that list. I still think Dotson's that guy. Maybe I overvalue him, um, but I I thought he was going to be a star this year. Uh, that's Allen. That's Payne, right? That's Cam Curl, whether or not he comes back or not. They don't have a single superstar. I mean, they, they don't have elite players. They obviously don't have all pros. They've had one in Brandon Sheriff in about 30 years. But, I mean, there's no such thing as a guy on this roster who's legitimately – like excellent, right? They have some really good players, a handful of them. And then they have a lot of guys like if we're saying, well, Rodriguez might be this. Every team has, and I'm not disrespecting him. I love Chris Rodriguez's game, but every team has a guy like that, you know, that is on their practice squad or that that is their fourth running back. Every team's got a, well, we drafted this center and maybe he'll be good. So what they need is impact players 
you have to sign those guys in free agency and spend money. This this front office was not aggressive. When they made splashes, they were wrong. William Jackson, uh, Carson Wentz, uh, to an extent, Curtis Samuel, who's having his best year finally in year three, he was the ninth highest paid receiver in the league last year. Um, and when they've drafted, where do you get those players? You get them in the first and second round. They've gotten almost zippy out of their first two rounds in terms of stars so that's where the next gm's got to hit a hundred percent and to be fair to yeah, them like I, I agree with that completely they don't they don't have one legitimate star player i mean i i don't i mean a lot of my callers believe that they do at quarterback but in all reality they don't have uh they don't have an a plus a plus player they have some a minus b plus players i I, I really did think Duran was going to take that next step and be one of the top three or four D tackles in the game because I think he almost ended the season last year that way. So I'm, I'm disappointed in his season because I thought he was the one as much as anybody. And I, I always thought Sweat had that kind of a ta- talent. But as much as you got, you mentioned Terry earlier, Terry's a really good you know, NFL receiver. He's not great, though. He's not a take-the-game-over receiver. And people can say, well, it's because he hasn't had a quarterback or he hasn't had a coordinator or he's been on in a, in a dysfunctional situation. We all watch the NFL. We see what real superstar receivers look like. Terry's not that. He's really good. He's a number one receiver, top 14 to 16 in the league, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't have a soup. They don't have a true star player on the team. Yeah. They got a hundred percent. And by the, and by the way, like to, since I was ragging on the roster, like the depth is definitely better in some spots for sure. Running back wide receiver. The secondary is way better than, than what they had before. Um, the, they also don't have a multi-time offensive lineman, a pro bowl offensive lineman like Brandon Scherf. And, you know, like you said, Grant, the first round picks haven't worked out. Um, you mentioned Curtis Samuel. So obviously the reason they have $90 million in cap space is a bunch of dudes are going to free agency, yeah. Samuel. So while I'm going to ask you guys, you should give me the one guy that you would re-sign for like real money. I don't just mean like, you know, dirt cheap. I mean, if, if the guy is dirt cheap, so be it. But I just mean, you know, the real salary, uh, Curtis Samuel, Kendall Fuller, Jacoby Brissett, Cody Barton, James Smith Williams, Antonio Gibson, Casey Tuhill, Jameson Crowder, a bunch of other guys too. Who's the one guy that you would say, you know what, like if you could sort of put your your Kevin or Grant tag on that you would keep and pay the real money to do so that you would do? Grant, who who would you keep? Uh, if Curtis Samuel you you tell me what is Curtis Samuel looking for this coming season? Whatever it is, realistically, he's not going to make the same money he made here, and it always seems challenging for a guy to take a pay cut and stay in the same place. That would be whatever he's looking for. I I don't know that he stays here for that. He maybe he and Terry are obviously very tight. Yeah, the reason I ask is I'm probably like Curtis Samuel this year made eleven and a half million dollars. I'm not going to pay him more than that at this point. Uh, I am really interested in retaining him if I can do it at some type, you know, at around that or a little less. I just don't think that's realistic. Uh, I, he's been their best wide receiver this year, and I don't even think it's particularly close. No. Uh, I, I He's also – he is a gift to a coordinator. You know, a really sharp guy like a Kyle Shanahan could do a hell of a lot with him. And, and I will give the enemy this. This week, 
I mean, Kevin, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't even get to hear, but I would imagine you pointed this out in things you like this week because I love this. They lined him up in the backfield and had him run that Texas route. They lined him at the backfield, got him one-on-one with a linebacker. He made a double move and got down the field for 33 yards. Like the kind of stuff using him almost like he was Brian Robinson that I've been waiting on that they don't do enough of. So the, if Ben Johnson or Shane Waldron or someone comes in here, that kind of a gadget player who's multiple and versatile it is unlocks a lot of things. So he would be the most interesting guy to keep, but I would not pay a lot of money to keep any of those guys, to be completely honest with you. I mean, Fuller is probably at a position of need, the right answer, but even he is, is I would want him in the future as like a veteran cornerback too, who's good in the room. Like I'm not looking for him to be leading my secondary. Well, that was the the one. Uh, first of all, n- nobody jumps out as a guy that, for me, you have to bring back. Um, but Kendall Fuller, because of his experience, because he is high IQ, he can't run like he used to be able to run. But you're you don't have corners right now enough of them unless the new coaching staff comes in and really believes that you know St. Juice and. Um, and Forbes uh, can, you know, be your anchors and you can fill in the rest of the way. Um, I, look, I like Curtis Samuel too. And, and I mean, I, I've noticed they've done it a, a little bit more here recently within the backfield. The funny thing is he lined up in the backfield a lot when he was at Carolina um, with Norv as the offensive coordinator in those last couple of years. But there's nobody – I mean, it, I could be a, a prisoner of the moment right now and 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 thinking about these recent performances, and there's nobody that I have to have back. I mean, but, last year, I what wanted about Cam to Curl? Run. I know, but for whatever reason, they haven't been aggressive with Cam Curl. It makes me wonder. Um, I love Cam Curl as a player. I, I absolutely was on board with bringing and paying back and paying Deron Payne. I thought Durant, Durant Payne was their best defensive lineman, and we had the best performance by a defensive lineman last year that we've had out of any of them over any of those years. And he didn't strike me as the kind of guy that was going to get paid, and then that was going to be it. And I don't think that's necessarily what happened this year anyway. He's actually had some moments in some decent games. Um, no, My problem with paying Payne, in addition to just the allocation at the, at the one position, was – you were paying him for a year, a year he would not be able to replicate. And Why did you think he wouldn't be able to replicate it? Because he's never been that guy at any point. That was his fifth season. He doubled all of it. I don't just mean sacks, by the way. You look at yeah. pressure rate, tackles for loss. CFLs, yeah. I mean, just about everything. Now, the year before that was close in terms of you know quarterback hits. But his, his career averages were about half that. And he was ultra motivated. Like Again, I like the player. I like the guy, so I'm not trying to bash him. But he was a guy that early in his career, I know Jay and some other people in the building always felt like, you know, they he was not necessarily a self-starter. Uh, that they really had to motivate him at times. And, and maybe that changed as he got, you know, toward the end of his contract. And I'm sure he's grown up a ton. But I, I always am just dubious. Like, they loved John Allen because they know John Allen's the kind of guy that you cut him open, he bleeds burgundy and gold. Uh, he would have been the guy that I paid and kept around. He's the one leading the, the, the locker room speeches. And if you want to keep paying because he's a little better player, if you think that's fine, I, I would have just moved Allen probably. I just, for me, I, I all, you know, my resources go to offense. D line is important and I get that, but you were going to have to pay one of the ends. And because you paid both tackles, 
Now you can't pay the ends, and obviously they traded them, which I kind of liked. To be honest, they could have paid one. They could have paid one of them, and I think they, they would have wanted to pay dumb. one of them. It's just yeah. dumb to pay that much on your D line. Like, pay, go get me a tight end. Go get me a, an elite wide receiver. Uh, you know, score points. <laughs> That's what the league. Yeah, is. I know. I know, but to me, you know, we've already discussed the fact that they don't have any elite players they don't have a lot of a players and if you've got one you got to keep one and duran was that for me and at the end of the last year i'm like you know we, we can sit here and debate the investment into the position into the defensive line as a whole but you could argue he was the best player on the team last year you got to keep you know one of the two or three best players on the team and i i was expecting that that was the breakout year you know the the maturity and he, he, Duran was never immature. Duran was inconsistent, but even I thought that would, was at times overrated. I think he was the focus of offensive coordinators more than John. I think we've seen that at times this year, um, which makes it easier for everybody else. But what he didn't become this year, which I was hoping he would become, was Quinn and Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, you know, not Aaron Donald, but, you know, that next tier, which he was really at last year but he wasn't this year so uh, maybe another coach will get it out of him he's under contract he's not going anywhere because you know every uh, the first person that jack del rio talked about when he got here in 2020 for whatever it's worth was i love that 94 on tape can't wait to coach him because he is freakish and has that super high ceiling out of all of them uh i hope he gets there Maybe the next staff will get it out of him. But you're not going to move on from Deron Payne after just giving him the contract last year. Oh, summer. no, he's here now. I mean, if they yeah. move one of those guys, you'd move Allen at this point. Yes. Well, it sounds I, I, like I, he might want to be moved. Yeah, he might help you. <laughs> um, I will just say that, like, you know, to my point, to the point of this line, as Kevin knows, I've been talking about this, the asset allocation issue for multiple years now. And my issue is they never seem to have a plan of what they were going to do. I mean, arguably, forget they should have maybe taken a quarterback at two in 2020. They had to look at that moment and say, are we really going to have a fourth defensive lineman that if they all hit, we have to pay these guys? Or like, what are we doing? Like, is that the way to go or should we trade down? And then they draft Fedarian Mathis in the second round because they assumed, obviously, that Payne was probably not going to come back, right? And then now they have Mathis, who, like, we talk about the depth. The number two, the the second round pick from last year is going to be a backup, assuming that Allen and Payne stay. What kind of roster building is that? So th this has <laughs> been this has been an ongoing issue, and you know even this year, I mean, I, I, it seems pretty obvious that Eugene Shen had had some say in moving on those guys, which I get, but like they just never had a plan. I don't think the whole time as to what they were actually going to do with, with well, any of these also guys. Let's also, because the three of us know this, they desperately wanted to move on from Chase Young. They would have, they would have loved to have gotten a better offer and a better offer even before last year's draft. Um, that, as long as they were here and had some input into the decision making, they were moving on from him for a lot of reasons. Montez, they didn't want to move on from, but you know, like you said, Shen, and they got this offer from Chicago that was too good to turn down, and. They were faced with the prospect of potentially needing to franchise him if they wanted to keep him. Yeah, and for the people that think they didn't get enough for Chase, I mentioned this on my show. I mean, the Ravens offered him a second and then pulled it pulled the deal back because, because of the medical. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. they got a San Francisco originally offered a two and a four and yeah. then saw the medicals and the best they'd give them was a comp third. So I mean they tried to get what they could, but to, 
I, I, I could be overstating this. I think they would have traded him for a five. I just think they wanted out of the business. They were not going to reset. And it was at that point, it's letting him walk for nothing potentially. Cause if they're aggressive this off season, they may not even get a comp pick in the future or get what you can. And they got what they could. Uh, you, you guys are radio professionals who have, who sure have to deal with this. My, my instinct when Grant says that so-and-so offered a two and a four, and I talked about this on my, on the show, I'm like, I want to say, yeah, I talked about that too. I heard that too. How, how do, you, do you get past that? Like, do you get past the, the, the desire or the need to constantly state your, uh, your, uh, your credibility, your, uh, your insight when, when people say things? Wait, I don't know what you're asking. Like, yeah, I don't know what you're asking. Oh, either. I'm saying that, like, I've also discussed and reported that they, they were offered a two and a four. And as a good host, I don't want to, like, say, hey, Grant, I also had that. But I'm, yeah, part yeah, of me is kind of like, well, I kind of feel like I need to say something. And I'm trying to, like, you're, you're being my therapist. How, how do you get how do you get oh, past that? As a host, you're saying, no, I mean, yeah, there's a conversational way. I think you could be like, yeah, I think that's something a lot of us have heard or whatever. To me. And this is what I well, the reason I like doing this is like three dudes throwing the ball around. But as a host, and this is something I talk about with my guys at the station all the time. Like when I have someone on the air, I, I'm not trying to be the expert. Right. I'm just trying to put balls on tees. So that's kind of my philosophy. But yeah, in this case, it's just three dudes talking shop. So shop, swing that axe, baby. Knock all down right. Um, th- just to to, to, to uh, wrap up the, the part about who to keep. You mentioned Curtis Samuel Grant. Um I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know if I want to pay him even $11 million, whatever you said the number was, because they got to hope that McLaurin and Dotson step up, and they need some height at that position. So if they go for a third receiver, I'd like to get somebody with size. But to your point of the playmaking, I, I still am intrigued by Antonio Gibson, and I can't imagine he's going to cost anything because the running back market is so flat. Um, now, And with a new staff, I just think a new staff would look at him and think, this guy can do stuff, even this year. I had to ask the enemy in like week I six agree. or seven, hey, how come you guys don't get Gibson the ball? And then like the next three weeks, he had five catches in each game. So I, I think like between Gibson and Samuel, either you have to keep one of them at a minimum or you have to add that type of player, the guy who can do a few different things, can line up in different spots as quick and catch all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm with you on Gibson. I've always been a fan. I think he's been underutilized. Um, the fumbling was an issue, I guess. Uh, the funny thing is, Ben, you and I've talked about this a lot. I don't think he's just, um, you know, that third down back in space. I think he's actually a pretty good runner between the tackles. I think he's a big dude. He's a physical dude. He falls forwards. But so does Brian Robinson Jr. I actually like their backs. I, lo- I loved Rodriguez from the moment I saw him in preseason. He's got great vision, great feet. You know, um, he's tough. He's physical. I, you know, I just don't know that it, it, with Robinson Jr. I mean, you got to pay Gibson. What are you going to pay him? It's probably not a lot, but it wouldn't shock me if somebody was interested enough to kind of put him in a poor man's Austin Eckler role. Um, cause I, I do think that he's really versatile and has been underutilized here during their best runs in 2020, 2021, specifically, he was their bell cow. I mean, and they, and they were playing football, by the way, the way I think Ron prefers to play football, balanced, run first, physical, possess the ball, et cetera. And he was at the center of all of that during their run in 2020. And then, Certainly the 2021 thing that started with the win over the uh, the Buccaneers and 
had a good game against the Raiders and the Panthers. And, you know, I, I like Gibson a lot, but I, I, you know, Robinson Jr. Looks like a guy that, that people will fall in love with as well. Their backs are pretty good. Not elite. Yeah. Like they don't have an A plus back, but they've got good backs. Which, which by the they way do. is also part of the problem. If we're highlighting the running backs at the, arguably the most interesting unit right now which is by the way what miami seems to say compared to the receivers that's a problem because we know in this era you can kind of find running backs and yet that's where they're uh seemingly the strongest yeah the only thing about running back though going into the offseason like gibson good player robinson uh, kevin i'm with you 100 i think he's getting better like really really love a lot of his game i think rodriguez who's leading the team at five yards per carry among their backs is really interesting, but they don't have, they don't have speed. They don't have like their singles hitter, uh, Chris Rodriguez Gibson might be a doubles hitter, right? But his longest run of the season is 13 yards. Uh, Brian Robinson's 29 yarder where he broke a tackle and then ran for 10 more. Cause they thought he was out of bounds, you know, tied his, his longest run of the year. We just saw Miami come in here, who had the five fastest track times and chip day. Outlier, though, Miami. Outlier, but that's what you yeah. should be striving for. Yeah. It's an outlier that everyone should Gibson, be copying. Gibson actually, I think, is a home run threat. For whatever reason, they haven't been able to spring him since that Buffalo screen pass a few years ago. But I, I do think – I, I mean, he guy... might be – he just has never hit one. You know, he might have – he puts on a hell of a batting practice maybe. But, I mean, yeah. his longest run – of the season um, last year, or I mean, his longest run of the season, as I said, this year is, is 13 yards. You know, last year, his longest run of the season was, uh, I'll have to look it up, but like, I, I don't remember some crazy, like uh, it was 20 yards. I mean, he, so I mean, he, more he or less, he, he's had some big plays on, I think on pass receptions, but yeah, be rubbed yeah. too. Yeah. Be rubbed too. I think Gibson also part of his deal was he was fast for a guy that size. Not that he's not fast, it was also in a bot in a guy that built to be like an early down back, which is the pretty unique combination that, like you I said, I agree that they've, they've never completely fleshed he, out, like ha- had to make this a, a real weapon. Um, he had a 40 right. yard run against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving or that, that like hundred yard multi-touchdown game or whatever. Um, right. But like, other than that, he's never had a 30 yard run. Like that, yeah. he had that screen pass against, against the bills, which is probably like the biggest play he had, but um, yeah. I'm not saying he's not fast, but I, I covet speed. And yes, the Dolphins are the only team like the Dolphins, but like that's what whoever's coming in here. I hope that they try to become the Dolphins. Like, go find burners. That's what the game's about. No doubt. All right, I want to ask you about the quarterback situation, but before that, let me just ask you this. So this this game the other day, uh, Grant and I were there. Kevin was watching. Uh, Miami people all over the the, the lower ball. It was teal and blue and orange or whatever their colors are everywhere obviously washington is the season's falling apart for them um but the question sort of the priority clearly for ownership at the beginning of the year was we got to get these fans back i guess you could say to an extent that happened early on with with the with the sellout of the home crowd that being the reason for the sellout um and as everybody's celebrating dan leaving but does the what we just saw does that sort of show how far Harris and them still need to go? Or do you think it's more about this season's faded and nobody's waiting? They're just waiting for this to end and then they'll come back. Uh, combination of both. It's definitely 
uh, this is a real disastrous season. And so you didn't have any forward momentum to get you know your fans into the, the stadium for the giant game or the, the Miami game, which there were probably opportunities for, not so much for the Philly game and probably not so much for the Dallas game at the end of the year because those fans bought those tickets up a long time ago. But I, I like I, I was talking to Tommy about this on, on the podcast today, and he's like, it just feels kind of like Groundhog Day. And I said, yeah, with one difference. It's like we he said, you know, we've been punched in the you know, Redskin fans have been punched in the face for 25 years. And they're just they're 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 worn out. They're done. And my point was, yeah, but the person hitting them in the face for the last 25 years is gone. And so that abuser is gone. And so I think people do recognize that and they're looking forward to the true beginning from a football operation standpoint of the Josh Harris ownership, which starts with the end of this season. Um, and then there are a lot of other things that they have to do to win people back. We talked about some of those things before. But yeah, this season has been, it, it's, there. the people that were fired up for the Arizona game, and I was there, you guys were there. It was a completely different scene than we've seen in a while, although the giant game at the end of last year on that Sunday night was a pretty decent crowd. But anyway, um, that's faded, completely faded. And now it's just about, all right, a lot of big announcements coming starting January 8th, January 9th, and it'll be the beginning of, of a new era without, you know, the, the guy that was smacking us in the face over and over again and insulting our intelligence for, for a quarter century. So I'm looking forward to that part. Grant, just to have you answer sort of a different question, but all in the same deal. The name is up. Forget the going backwards. Obviously, that's not happening. But the name is still an issue for some people and maybe a reason. I certainly see it on Twitter all the time. People complaining, change the name. Do you think that even matters as much anymore as it did at the start of the year? Is that being any factor, do you think? In, not well, in like season, no. But I, I don't think the people that wanted the name changed when the season started have you know, their opinions change. That'll come back up in the off season for sure that people want it changed. And it's not going to change this off season. Presumably it, it seems like they just have too many other priorities, but I, I still would bet that they do change it in the next couple of years. Uh, I think it's going to happen again, but no, I don't think that's why people aren't going to the game. I mean, it might be a, a factor as to general overall lack of interest or excitement to go back out and spend your money. Uh, but not directly. I mean, I think it was just they were going to get beat by a lot, and, and fans expected that. The weather was not particularly good, uh, and it's not that fun to go. You know, you. I think if you've been to FedEx Field in any of their last five home games, you've seen them give up an average of like 36 points and lose all those games. So I think people are just kind of saying, uh, yeah, I'll wait for the next one. Well, they can yeah, come in the exactly. press box. It's entertaining in there as we all make fun of Chris Russell's uh, updates. That's a good time. They can come. They can come listen to that. The name issue is a big issue. They know it. They're going to do something about it. What the timeline on that is, you know, per the league rules, et cetera. We don't know. We'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. But the name issues with is a big issue with a significant percentage of the people that at one time were dark diehard fans. They also tend to be the highest revenue generating fans over the years. That's who they've lost. You know, if, if you, as we all did, witness the deterioration of the fan base, you know, roughly two thirds of what was a, you know, a, a massively popular teams, you know, a, a rabid fan base 
left. Um, many of those were the biggest spenders, you know, the, the suites, the club seats, the blocks of seats. And what was left was more of the lower revenue generating customers. So with the people that spent the most money to get them back or to get a lot of them back, they're going to have to address the name. Uh, and I think they know that and the timeline of that, who knows, it's not more important than winning. It's not more important than hiring a really good GM and a really good coaching staff and doing really well in the draft and doing really well in free agents in free agency and figuring out the answer at quarterback. But there are people my age and of my era of following the team that are never coming back until that's addressed. And Harris and Rails know that. Um, it's just, you know, I think they had a chance to avoid the whole issue with a great season. Like if they had had a spectacular season, there would have been more of an opportunity to kind of stick with what they had. But I don't even think, I think personally, most of the ownership group, all the owners, I mean, all of the minorities, some, so many of them are from here. Most of them don't like the name and they want it changed. So I, I think that's a big, big topic. I love, I think he does the right thing publicly by saying we can't address it. It's not a priority right now because they can't do anything about it right now. But when the season is over, I'd be shocked if at some point during the off season, we don't find out that this is being addressed somehow. All right. Um, let, let me go to the, the last topic, at least for me, you guys, you know, you guys are, are great. And I know I'm keeping Kevin up. Um, all right. It You're is not keeping me up. I got a new schedule. Oh, I I'm know. But now. You know, still. All right. Um, the quarterback, you may have heard this is an important position in sports. They may have an answer finally in Sam Howe. They also may not. It's still, we're, I think we're all still debating. You guys can say if you're more sold or not sold than I'm suggesting. But obviously, there's been some good things this year with him. The The fact that he makes you know relatively no money the next two years is a huge deal, especially if you're looking to rebuild this thing fairly quick, take advantage of that. That's a big deal. Um and he's young. He's only 23. There's enough there. But that said, because of this skid, all of a sudden, they currently will have the projected as the fourth pick. I don't know if any of us saw that really happening even a, a few weeks ago. So you have to consider a quarterback knowing that any guys who might be picked in that range are going to be rated higher coming out of college than Hal. Plus, you'll have them under control for five years, whereas Hal, you only have for the next two. So all that said... I'm going to do my best to be Molly Kiram here and, and have uh, Shannon Sheehan and Stephen A. Paulson give their thoughts. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'd rather with, be Stephen A. Sheehan and have him be, be Shannon Paulson. Is that well, who does it? Shannon Sharp? He's on that show now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that said, if they do have this top four, top five pick, what's your gut slash what, do you, what would you do Go with that pick. Obviously, we don't know who the exact player is, but go with that scenario or stay with Sam and use that pick to fix the roster elsewhere. I think anybody saying they already know definitively that Sam's the guy decided that before the season started or just that they're wish casting that. I think it is utterly outrageous after these 13 games, which have not been special and which I'd still say the balance sheet is more positive than negative. Anybody, and I get a lot of these people that are like, oh, I can't believe we don't see this. The line is terrible. He, without him, they'd be screwed. I, you're, 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 you want it to happen, and you've talked yourself into it. 
I am open to the possibility that he could be the long-term starter. If I had to turn in an evaluation right now for their front office on what I view Sam Howell as, I think he's a starter in the league, not a backup. I do think he's a starter, and I think you can win with him. I think if you elevate him with your offensive coach, Ben Johnson or otherwise, if you you build up the line in front of him and you have some weapons around him, I think you could go win 10, 11 games with Sam Howell. I believe that. Did He's better than Taylor Heineke. He's better than Wentz was. Probably the best quarterback, frankly, they've had since the game managing Smith or, or Cousins, certainly, as a thrower. That said, he has major flaws that people seem to not care about. The sack problem is not going away. I don't think it will go away. You can mask it with good coaching and good O-line play and protection. And for a little while, the enemy was with some quick game stuff. But they've gotten away from that. And over the last three weeks, this has been a disaster offensively. They also have played the second easiest schedule in the NFL prior to the last two weeks. They finally played two good defenses. Cowboys were third in DVOA. Dolphins were seventh in DVOA. And coming into those two games, it had been a, a middling season for Bienemy and for Howell and for the offense, albeit for Howell specifically, I, I was pretty optimistic. The last two weeks have been somewhat exposing. I thought they did some good things in the Cowboys game. I did not like uh, at all this past week. I thought it was a mess, obviously, season lows in every category. That's kind of my how take. But I guess to circle back and put a bow on it, you asked about the draft. I don't even think it's debatable. If they're picking in the top five, I don't know what the numbers are. Wouldn't you say, Kevin, like 95% of the time when a new GM and a new head coach come in, they eventually get it, their own quarterback? You've got to be extra special or extra intriguing to avoid that. If they're picking in the top five, of course they're going to consider it. The, the big question then is, and, and this is not this is common sense, but it looks like Williams and May are going before they pick. So is there anyone else that's there? Is it Jaden Daniels or I was talking to a draft guy on the show last week and they seem to think that like Bo Nix is not going early mid first round that uh, even, um, you know, the, the rest of the guys that have been talked about a lot, like Penix are going later. It's basically Jaden Daniels in the top 10 with those two or nobody. So it's, it's basically a, do you like Jaden Daniels kind of conversation, but they, if, if someone is saying they shouldn't consider a quarterback with a new GM and a new head coach, and a season in which Sam analytically is outside of the top 20 in most metrics, or top 15 at least, I, I just think that's ridiculous. I, I think that's silly, and we're just trying. We, and I like the guy too, but we're just we're just hoping it's him and, and saying that it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing we don't do a show together because we would agree too much on um, everything. I mean, everything you said I agree with. I, I We both have dealt with the people that – told us um, that Wentz was the answer and Taylor Heineke was the answer. And now they're convinced how is the answer. Good, and they were, do you think they it's were, the same people? That's a good Yeah, point. I do. I actually do. I think it's a lot of the same people. <laughs> and they were convinced on the after the Dallas game last year. I mean, I remember after the Baltimore preseason game, people saying, are you serious? You don't see it? And I'm like, no, I don't. Not yet. Um, but I'm open-minded. I want to watch actual real games and decide and, you know, there's been more good from Sam than bad. I think I've been much more encouraged than discouraged. Uh, but I still see, you know, Gardner Minshew, worst case. You know, Andy Dalton, best case. Um, Andy Dalton was a good starting quarterback. I mean, you could make the case he was, you know, somewhere from 13 to 17 for four straight years. And Cincinnati went to the playoffs a bunch with him. And, and um, you know, he and A.J. Green had a nice little thing together. 
Uh, I mean, there's a lot there. And if you don't love somebody or you can't get the person that you really like, then I'm okay if ultimately it ends up being an offseason to build around Sam to see another year or two of him at a great salary. But I'm a big Jaden Daniels believer. I think he's spectacular. Uh, I think he's going to end up being, um, I mean, he's already gone from, you know, mid round to second round to uh, late first. And, you know, I, I had Dane Brugler uh, on the show the other day, Ben, and he's got him in the top seven. You start talking, you know, in, in reading stuff. I mean, it's possible that Caleb Williams and the due diligence on him may actually end up getting Jaden Daniels close to the top by what by by the time we get to we know how these things change, right? It's 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 December, long way to go between now and 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 the end of April. But it would be totally irresponsible and negligent for the new general manager not to look at quarterback as a serious possibility if they end up in the top five or top four of this draft sam there's so much to like about him but there's nothing i've seen that says elite you should always be looking at whether or not elite is a possibility i mean for whatever reason people want to say oh none of these sacks are his fault he's gonna you know he leads the league in sacks leads the league in interceptions his qbr is 21st his passer ratings 23rd he had a really good stretch of three games in a row. You know, the New England game, the Seattle game, um, the Philly game, the New England game, the Seattle game, when they really started to emphasize quick, true West Coast, get the ball out of his hands. But he has a major flaw. We all now know after watching him for 13 games, and it only took three games through that Buffalo game to realize why a lot of general managers – and front offices said no to Sam Howell in the first four rounds. He has a flaw that typically doesn't improve significantly over the t over time. It has with a few guys. Alex Smith is an example. But no, if if you have – and by the way, I wouldn't be against if they fell in love with Caleb Williams or Drake May and they said this is the next thing – and like you said, Grant, new GM coach, they're going to want their own quarterback, especially if they love somebody. I wouldn't be against trading up for it uh, if they if they were in that position. But, yeah, ultimately, they'd be insane not to take every step towards evaluating these quarterbacks. They will. I mean, you, you wouldn't want a GM that wouldn't. And uh, And I think that there is better than an even money chance they go quarterback if they're in the top four. And I still want to see these last four games of Sam Howe. You made a great point. And I've emphasized this a lot on the show, which is they faced a lot of defenses that weren't very good. Dallas's defense was excellent. Miami's defense was really improving. And they're going to get a Jet defense and a San Francisco defense and a Dallas defense again if Dallas has something to play for. So let's see how he continues to progress. You still have, you know, four games left. And there's also the possibility that somebody's going to come in and say, you know, Ben Johnson is a better fit for the kind of quarterback he thinks Sam Howell can be. Maybe it is more of let's get a running game and let's watch how he is with play action and bootleg, um, which we didn't see a married passing game and running game with Eric Bieniemy. And actually, it just the people that compare him to Kirk Cousins, that's what Cousins is. You know, you got to have balance. You got to have a running game. You got to 
that that'll, that ends up being his protection. He's incredible in, in the boot game, in the play-action game. We haven't seen enough of that with Sam. I actually think he'd be great at that. But, um, no, I would bet today that quarterback is a big emphasis for a top-four holding first-round team in Washington, if that's what they get to. Ben, I'll ask you this, because it sounds like Sheen and I are in lockstep on – uh, not to put words in your mouth, but you'd be fine with him as the starter, like next early in the next season, if that's how it works out. Like I could definitely get behind an off season where they don't go quarterback, build a bunch of things up, and then they run it back with him with a new offensive minded head coach. I don't think that would be bad either. I might do something different, but is that something that you'd be open to Ben as like not a bad idea? You're talking about with Sam or the, or a rookie? Exactly. Like if, if they evaluate it and they either, let's say they don't love Jaden Daniels as a fit or they pick fifth and I'm just going to say he's not available or whatever. If they just draft a tackle and a tight end and a corner and move forward, like I don't think this is a rolling it back with Heineke situation. I think there's some value right. In it too, right? I mean, yeah. you could still get excited for September if Howell and an improved roster and a new fresh coat of paint are ready to go next fall. Like, I don't think that would lead to any kind of major issues putting butts in seats. Yeah. I mean, as long as he's not throwing pick sixes each of the last four games, um, you know, I think we've seen enough to say, like what you just said, that you can go into next year feeling intrigued by the quarterback situation. My only wonder, though, would be he's still young, but like half the reason you'd be, be interested in Sam Howell is that salary, taking advantage of it as we've seen other teams do. And how quickly are they willing to spend? I mean, Josh Harris did the greenlit the process. I'm not saying they're doing that, but he clearly is a guy who's willing to be patient. And if you're, you know, uh, so you you have all this cap space, do you go spend it? Because you need a lot of stuff. You need all the premium positions, basically. Uh, Tackle, defensive end, cornerback, or, you know, so that's, that would be my only wonder if they're, if they want to wait, then I probably would go with the, the rookie. But if they're, if they're willing to spend, I'd go how. Uh, so to that end, we've talked coach, GM, quarterback. I'm going to ask you both, give me who you, I don't know about who you want. What would be your dream, realistically, quarterback, or sorry, GM, coach, quarterback. I'll let you think for a second. I'll say uh, Adam Peters from the 49ers. When I did my agent survey last year, the gushing over him was pretty significant. And I get the feeling that like he's more involved. Like Not saying John Lynch isn't involved, but John Lynch, I feel, is a little more figure heady and Peters, I think is the one doing a lot of the work there. Uh, he's also a California guy. So I don't know he would leave what the left coast, but whatever Peters. And then I say to Peters, Hey, CJ Stroud's doing pretty good. What's the deal is Bobby Slowick, the next guy. If he says he is, I'm going with him and bring, cause they were together with the 49ers. He obviously is coming from that Shanahan thing. That's worked out. This, the Texans offense is going well. And then my quarterback, I think I would I, I leave it to them, but I would probably say I, I'm not the Jaden Daniels guy that Kevin is, but I'm intrigued enough to say, and, and also knowing I'm going to get more years un, under control of the contract that I'd go Jaden Daniels. Grant. Um, so you went Peters. I'm not going to be boring and take the same guy. He's the easy kind of favorite. I would say Andy Weidel to throw mm-hmm. a name out. He's the assistant GM with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's got ties to Philly. I think the Philly connection is going to help every name that keeps seemingly coming up. When I talk to people around football is an Eagles related guy. Uh, I was Harris with his Philly ties. So of those guys, I'm interested in a who I think 
could dive into the analytics stuff with Shen, but is also a pretty established football guy. Um, Ben Johnson's my favorite coaching candidate on like not even close. Uh, I love, love him as a candidate and I know he's the number one guy. Let's say they get him. That would be great. And then I would probably say Daniels, frankly, Uh, I just think the ceiling is really, really high. I, I don't know. I mean, I've watched him very casually. I haven't studied him. I just think he's an incredible athlete who assuming he doesn't leave clean pockets. My issue when I study or watch, college quarterbacks who run a lot is when they leave clean pockets. I hate that. I I want a guy who wants to throw the football and who can make plays with his feet. So assuming that's what he wants to do, uh, I I, I just want a guy that has a chance to be special. I think he definitely has that potential. So those would be some of the guys I'm thinking of, but uh, if Johnson's gone just as a, as a secondary option from a coaching standpoint, Shane Waldron in Seattle interests me. And uh you know, you mentioned Slowick is, is up there. I, I want to go offensive-minded, but one deep cut. Um, this guy, Ajiro Evro in Carolina, looks like he could be a star. Now, I wouldn't probably hire him because he's a defensive coordinator, but I would not be surprised if he ends up being the second biggest name when these interviews start behind Ben Johnson. I feel the same way about Mike McDonald, by the way, the Ravens defensive coordinator. Yeah, everybody seems to like him. Too. Yeah. Kevin? Um. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I haven't given a lot of thought to specifically who I like because I think that's hard to figure out other than finding out from others who they like. And, you know, the names like Halaby pop up and, um, you know, from a, co- from a, you know, the analytics potential. Wait, wait, Kevin, by, by the way, Grant, this is what happens. Kevin asks me a question, then I saw off the soft pedal. And he goes, I'll just pick somebody. We're not going to hold you to it. No, I mean, I mean, I, I look at the analytics guys like Ian Cunningham and Alec Hallaby, and I think that's probably the way they go. I like the idea of bringing in sort of a a proven, you know, president of operations guy to it, it, then turn it over to the analytics guy. But like, I, I what? So Jaden Daniels, I'm, I mean, I, I, I just I loved watching LSU all year. If they had had just a horrible defense instead of an all time bad defense, they'd be playing in the Final Four um coming up but you know he does have kind of a breakable body which is one of my um one con- uh, concern about him but he's a he's really like he's like Lamar Jackson in many ways except not a thick body he's got the vision as a runner of a Michael Vick um he's got an arm uh you know like like Jackson and Vick and others so I think about a guy like Todd Munkin who is in one year with um with Lamar Jackson and it's working uh in Baltimore and the opportunity for Munkin to potentially be a head coach to work with like a Jaden Daniels that would excite me remember on these quarterbacks all of it for me and I'm sure you guys too is with the caveat of all of the you know intangible stuff checks out I mean that's the stuff we don't know we don't get to do the interviews and they may finish up with Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels and say, yeah, no, thank you. We're going to draft, you know, the kid from Penn State or the kid from kid from Notre Dame and build around Sam. And I'd be okay with if they came to that conclusion too. But I'll just throw out somebody like a Munkin and a Jaden Daniels combo. Munkin's such a good offensive mind and has been at the college level and is proving it to uh, proving to be so at the pro level. And look, they could end up being in the Super Bowl this year, which, you know, the offensive coordinator for a 
a Super Bowl team ends up, you know, being a, uh, at the top of a lot of lists. So I'll just throw that out. The combination of Munkin and Jaden Daniels to kick everything off with, you know, an analytically inclined GM and with a president of football operations that has some experience like a Floyd Reese. That my prediction, by the way, like he said, I will be stunned if they don't go with one of these younger super analytics based GM. Right. Like, I don't think it's going to be a household name GM. I think right. it will. There's a chance it's Peters. If they could lure him away, that'd be a hell of a hire. But I, I think it, you know, Cunningham, how it be like, a, or a guy in that mold. I think it's going to be some like 37 year, 42 year old, like AGM there. I really think that's the way they go. And that's risky, right? You got to get this hire right. But uh, that's what they want. They want to put that guy in Shen in a big analytics department. And, and I'm, it's music to my ears. Let's just see how it works. Yeah, no. And uh, one of you mentioned uh, Ian Cunningham, who's assistant GM at the Bears, but was with the Eagles and the Ravens. I definitely think he's somebody to keep an eye on. You mentioned Alec Hallaby. Um, he's got that sort of uh, background. Um, the super duper wild card would be like a, uh, I'm going to butcher the last name, but Catherine Rachey, Rachey, the, the, uh, she's with yeah, the Browns. She was with the Eagles. She's somebody that whose name has, has come up and, um, others as well. But, uh, you know, th- there's, there's not a shortage of interesting options, but hitting the right one is always the challenge. All right. Needless to say, I've, you guys are now off the hook for all the times you've come on. I've come on your shows. We're even now. We're 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 I back love doing to this. You can have it. You can call us whenever you want. That's right. It was fun. Well, I know that, but it's more fun to say. Okay, now we're even. All right. Uh, at the Kevin Sheehan show nine at Team Nine Eighty uh, ten to one plus the Kevin Sheehan podcast. Grant and uh, Danny Rie two to six thirty Monday to Friday one oh six seven the fan. You guys rock. I won't even. I was going to even ask you. Who, if, if 1067 and 980 did the TV show Survivor, who's the first person getting voted out? But, you know, I don't want you guys to burn any bridges, so I won't I won't make oh, you pick. I think we both have the right, the same answer. Um, I think we all three do. I have I have no idea who I'm even thinking of. Um, all right, boys. See you guys. Fun. See ya. All right. Big thanks to Kevin Sheehan and Grant Paulson for their time. And of course, thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Like I said, I anticipate having at least one next week um, to get you through the bye week. And uh, we'll see where we are later in the week. Um, But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See you.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.